Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I will sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and today's guest is a freelance writer and toy designer based in Georgia. He is also the creative mind behind the Scream Queen shop, which celebrates the final girls of his favorite movies with a quirky Barbie aesthetic. Beautiful greetings to Bradley Ryan. Hi, hello. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for coming. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to digging into our topic today. But before we do that, I do like to kick off each episode with a quote that pertains to our topic. And uh, this could be from philosophy, which is my sort of research. Uh, it could be from filmmakers or it could be from elsewhere around the world and on the Internet. Today's quote is as follows. Our appreciation for beauty involves a state of mind conducive to achieving both our cognitive and moral rational ends. Ends that are difficult to achieve because of our sensible nature. I'll get into who said that and why I think it applies really nicely to the film we're going to talk about today. But first, Bradley, welcome aboard. And I want to start things off by just uh, let's get to know you a little bit. So, um... How long have you been a fan of horror and, and how did you get into it the way you have uh, these days? I think like a lot of uh, kids of the 80s and 90s, I got into horror way too young. Um, yeah. uh, I like literally the first movie I can remember watching is Child's Play 2. Okay. And I had uh, a very cool mom who was super into scary movies as well. So she kind of inducted me pretty early on with you know the classics of the 80s, Michael and Freddie and Jason. Uh, and they were all over cable, so it wasn't super difficult to find them. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. You know, the first real slasher movie I remember being excited about seeing on my own, and again, way too young at 10 years old, was Scream. Um, I remember somehow I conned a cousin into taking me. She was 17. It was during the re-release after it had like left theaters and came back that spring. And uh, I was like, you know, let's just go see it. Like, trying to be as cool as I could. I was like, you want to see it? I want to see it. My mom doesn't care. And we got there, and I'd missed the Drew Barrymore scene because we were late. So I was like, oh, I thought Drew Barrymore was in this movie. Whatever. Watched it, loved it, loved every second of it. It came out on video, and I saw the opening, and that was, like, the hook. I was like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. This is so scary and so well acted. And from there, that was kind of it. That that was the, the hook that got into me. And then... uh I knew what you did last summer and Scream 2. And from there, I was just, um, you know, I was stuck on the the late 90s slashers. They were my bread and butter. They were the things that I kept trying to talk to friends about, but they had not seen them. So I was like, all right, well, I guess, well, I'm just going to be excited. And <laughs> and that just kind of, you know, I rode that wave up into the early 2000s. And um, that's when friends started getting into horror. And I started finding people who were like me really into it. And uh, I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer being like my favorite mm -hmm. show also really helped me find those people. Um, and today, you know, I'm still there. I, I above all else love a good slasher movie. There's just something about it that is just, it, it takes me back to that like excited 10 year old who's just like, I shouldn't be watching this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think this is really fun and it's scary. And just identifying with, you know, that, that final girl, that character who, you know, 
overcomes adversity and stops the bad guy. I just, I love it. I live for it. Um, I think it also, like, I loved Power Rangers as a kid. So I feel like there's something intricately involved there with, like, uh, me loving the Pink Ranger and also Sydney Prescott. So it's like, <laughs> it, I, it fits together somewhere in my head. Um, and now I'm I'm still there. I am, uh, like, frothing at the mouth for Scream 5, or 5, Ooh, five Cream for the five Insiders. Cream. <laughs> and um, I've gotten into late, especially after uh, you know the pandemic, and I pretty much lived on podcasts for a year. Mm. Getting into those like lesser known horror movies or movies that like I'd heard of a ton, but I hadn't actually watched. Like I, this is going to sound awful to horror movie fans. I had never seen the original Prom Night. I remember okay. trying to watch it at like 17, 16. And I was like, oh, this is boring. Like I, I just wasn't, I wasn't there. My heart wasn't in it. And I finally watched it probably like summer of 2020. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is, this is so good. This is where things started. And so that's kind of where I am now. I'm, I'm trying to catch up on like the classics and uh, getting really into horror TV. I loved the Chucky series. It felt like a return to form for me. And and that's kind of where I am, just kind of like trying to embrace the the classics that the you know, when I was younger and getting into movies, it was like, oh, it's so old. I don't really I don't feel like wasting the time there. I want I want something new and flashy and exciting. I want Valentine, I want Dave Boreanaz. Um and <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of how it's, I've gotten to this place of like loving slasher movies, but like expanding a little bit. Right. Well, no, I think a lot of people have been doing that too. Um, I've got plenty of classics that I still need to see. And ever since starting the podcast, I've just put it off even longer because I could have just <laughs> sat around and, and watched them. But then I'm like, I think it's a lot cooler when I'm coming to this with a first time viewing so that oh, yeah. the guest can be the person who really knows what they're talking about with the movie. <laughs> And I mean, today is one of those examples. Well, we'll get into that here in a moment, but I had not seen this movie uh, yet. But yeah, no, I mean, I still haven't seen the original Prom Night. I'll be honest there. Prom Night 2 was a first time watch for me last year. And oh, it okay. changed my whole world. <laughs> that movie is so good. Yes. It's so good. And I mean, the horse. Uh. Oh, yeah. I hate that I lived so long without that movie in my life. Because <laughs> I would have irritated the shit out of everybody about this movie. And that I still will. There's still time. That's how I feel about, um, there's this late, like, I, everybody calls it, like, the last 90s slasher called um, Cherry Falls. I mm. Everybody I talk to, I'm like, you have to watch this. It's not good. It's great. Like, it's, <laughs> you just have to see it. Right. I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. But, okay, that's that's one for my bucket list, I suppose. Cherry Falls. If I come back, I will do Cherry Falls. I will find the beauty in it. <laughs> Very cool. You will find the beauty in it. Uh, that's a great way to look at things as well. Find the beauty in things. Mm. Please do that. Uh, you know, I, this must have been a great calendar year for you, 2021. I know we're in 2022 now. And yes, Scream, for, for everybody who wants to know like the timing of everything, like Scream 5 or Scream Reboot, whatever you want to call it, it is right around the corner. And I'm very Ooh. curious to see what's going to go on with this movie. Uh, but, you know, with that coming out, you already mentioned the Chucky series, but for Child's Play 2 to have been like your earliest memory. What a what a great... It, uh, seriously, <laughs> kiss it. You know? It really was. Yeah, this is... We, we're definitely in like kind of a slasher renaissance. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was a wonderful year um, between like Mal when Malignant came out, uh, the great, <sighs> incredibly divisive Malignant. Um, I loved it. I thought it was like ripped out of 1984 like it was so good <laughs> um halloween kills came out and you know 
again, Another divisive. divisive. So divisive. But uh, <laughs> for what it was, I, I I liked it. You know, there obviously there's stuff I would change. There's a lot of things I would change in a lot of movies. But it was it was still a Halloween movie. And it's something there's some part of the score um, where it kicks off and it sounds like it's going to go into a very different song. And I watched it with my husband at like eight in the morning the day it premiered on Peacock. And he just started singing the song when it was going on. And I wish I don't even remember the name of the song. It's the... It just like is not the song for a Halloween movie. Yeah, it's in my head now. And now every time I watch the movie, I'm like, I really just want that song to play. Like, <laughs> it's right when Michael's getting going. I'm like, in his head, I'm sure that's what's playing. I'm sure that is the song that he's listening to. That would be the best. Uh, as he goes and hacks and slaps. Maybe I'll make like a fan video. I don't know. But it, um, yeah, it was a, a big year for slashers. And I, I hope it continues. I hope so, too. It was really nice to see Freaky kind of kick that off and show mm-hmm. that a slasher movie can do really damn well. If you just promote it well and make it, oh, good. Like what is right? I mean, honestly, yeah. If you promote it well and you actually like have a talented filmmaker with a vision, and they're not going like, "Oh, it's a cash grab." He's like, "No, he had an Mm -hmm. idea, a vision, and it was it was great." Freaky was such a a great kickoff to the the slasher season, as it were. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Now, before we get into the film that we're going to discuss today, I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your shop. So it sounds so cool. Oh, you yeah. checked it out as well. And you've got really lovely designs on there. So you've got T-shirts Thank and you. phone cases, all kinds of cool stuff. I love the face masks. Uh, really nice designs there. But So how oh, yeah. did this come about, the Scream Queen shop? What, what is the uh, driving force behind that? Well, it's, um, I'm actually a toy designer. And, uh, again, during pandemic, you know, I had nothing to do but draw a lot of times. And I was thinking, mm. I was like, oh, you know what I would love to make? I'd love to take like, uh, and this, I had a specific Barbie. It was teen talk Barbie. Cause she is, she has a very specific face and aesthetic. I was like, I would love to get a couple of those off eBay and make them into screen queen dolls. Cause there's so many, you know, there's like 35 different Michael Myers action figures of every mm-hmm. scale imaginable. There's ghost faces. There's Freddy. Like, and I was like, you know, I've never had a Sydney Prescott toy. Like, I was like, I, w- I want Sydney. I want Tatum. I want like, I want someone to display with Ghostface and Michael and Freddy. There. And I was like, and these these are powerful women who like, I mean, look at Laurie Strode. She just got her first action figure in 2019. And like, that is ridiculous. Wow. She is the screen queen, and she doesn't have any merchandise whatsoever. And so I, I drew out the first four um, designs I did, the uh, Sydney, Lori, uh, Nancy from A Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, Alice from the first Friday 13th. And I was like, I designed them like I would design a fashion doll. Right. They're cute. They've got lots and lots of hair and fun accessories. And I had posted them on uh, a toy account I have. And a lot of friends were like, oh, can I, can you make that a t-shirt? Like, I would really like, that's really cute. I would like it as a shirt. And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess. I hadn't really thought about it. And um so I was looking up ways to like print a t-shirt for a friend and I was like, you know, I bet I could make these into like ads for these toys because again, along with merchandise, you never see a t-shirt for Laurie Strode. You never see one for, you know, the, the hero of the movie. And um, I was like, you know, I'll just make some Barbie art and get the Barbie font and come up with an idea. And, you know, one thing just led to another and I was like, Oh, I would like, I call it the screen Queens. Cause it's about screen Queens. And it's like they're Queens. And I made a little logo with like a heart and I get really into branding because I'm a toy designer. So it's like the heart can be the thing and it could have the font. And, um, I launched a shop and I was like, all right, well, I guess, uh, I'll just have them. It'll just be like a side thing and it'll be available if somebody wants to buy them. And I'd been looking for a way to kind of get into horror media and 
have like a voice in there because it's something I always have wanted to do. And I was like, oh, well, this is kind of a way for me to like be in the horror world. Um, and then I got featured by Fangoria. They were doing some like fan wow. fan creation month and they had featured me and another podcast had asked me to if I would like sponsor an episode and so they could show me off. And I was like, yeah, cool. I mean, I'm paying for this, but it's fine. And it just kind of went from there and it became something that like I really enjoyed doing. And the biggest thing is I really enjoy buying my own stuff. <laughs> I just bought my own. <laughs> I bought my own Scream shirt toward the, the Scream 5 premiere I'm going to. It's called Ghostface. It's like a heart logo with a ghost right. face mask inside. It's super cute. Uh, guys, go look for it. It's adorable. And I bought uh, my brother-in-law. I bought him the Nightmare on Elm Street loungewear set. <laughs> it's like he doesn't. He doesn't know what this is. He doesn't know I made it. So I'll go and do it. And so it's just it's it's fun. It's cute. I think that a lot of horror artwork is very aggressive, and I don't say like masculine, but it like. Um, I'm super gay and I want like cute things. So <laughs> I just design stuff that I want. I want like fun things that celebrate, you know, the, the women who deal with all this bullshit in the world and it's just fun and it's Barbie and like, how can you get mad at that? So, uh, that's kind of where it came from. And, and it's not, nothing really that like I throw a lot into It's, it's a fun project for me. And if people buy it, great. If not, you know, I have a great place to order clothes for myself. <laughs> so <laughs> it works. That's awesome. Uh, that's a wonderful story. And you're, you're right. It's adorable stuff. I particularly enjoyed the Alice one. I'm a huge Friday the 13th fan. Mm-hmm. And although Jenny has my heart, Alice has a very noticeable detail for her costume. And I love that you put the little parka on her and stuff that, you know, the, the raincoat yeah. that she's wearing. Such a nice detail. That's like, oh, yes, immediately. If you're a Friday the 13th fan, you're like, oh, hey, it's Alice. And it's funny too because she's one of the, like the kind of like milk toast kind of characters that's just like one of the fodder eventually in the franchise. Yeah. she doesn't stand out for a lot of people, but I mean, even though she's in two movies, <laughs> yeah, she is. She is very. Um, I say of the the era of like we'll just put pretty faces in the the picture and we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. And like she's very sweet and unassuming, and I think a lot of her characterization has kind of been added afterwards. But yeah, there are those specific, that specific look. I when I first thought of her, I was like, no, the yellow raincoat. You've got to have the yellow raincoat. It is so to me. It's so emblematic of her of that and like the little lantern and kind of keeping it in tune with that like very specific look. Yeah, I mean, she's the one who's like super prepared and everything. And I love that mm-hmm. if you compare it to the other designs that you have, like the, the others, they have really nice tiny details to, to make them distinct and stuff. Thank but you. For that one, I was just like, wow, the attention to detail to really make Alice stand out because she is so different in her whole demeanor in everything, mm-hmm. you know, from the other three. She She's not that big powerhouse character that, you know, we came to generate and stuff. Or, you know, Lori herself is also more of a really just... I'd say dem- I don't say timid. I'd say, like, demure. They're very... They're not yeah, exactly. boisterous. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, Sydney was always like, although she was more quiet, she was definitely the, you know, don't fuck with me. My dad's got my back kind of. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. And Nancy as well was would be very quick to tell somebody that they're full of shit. Yes. Uh, whereas, you know, Alice was just kind of like doing her thing and, and just was cute and very 80s. She's the most very. 80s oh, yeah. Bunch. So I was so happy to see that you put those little details into it. Nancy as well. I love that you went for the uh, part three version of Nancy with the streak down her hair. Very. Yeah. Cute. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's so classic. Like, yeah. I, I knew I wanted to do the pajamas, um, even though I did. <laughs> part of me did want to do that, like, 80s 
huge shoulder pad jacket mm-hmm. with like the acrylic sweater. I was like, ah, but I feel like I feel like you got to do pajamas, you know? Yeah, you do. Um, but the streak is so. I always like to me that's like her her badass moment is when she's like she gets that streak and you're like, oh, she's in it now. She's gonna make it happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great little detail there, and I I hope to see more designs for all the different iconic women that we have from slasher films, maybe even other films. So I'm really curious to see what you do going forward with this, because uh, yeah, you know I might even pick up a couple things. I could use some oh, nice. cute, uh, houseware, you know. Uh, it's also really cool to see you know uh, you, you see a man doing the the cute side of horror a little bit. You know, right? A yeah. Resurgence for women doing it, and I support the hell out of them doing it. But you know, LGBT voices and horror also just need that boost, in my opinion. And it's it's just really refreshing to see someone just throw it out there like that. Yeah, it was. Um, I think uh, on my Instagram, I posted a picture of me. Uh, and someone messaged me like, I don't want to be rude, but I fully thought you were a woman. I was like, don't worry. The aesthetic, <laughs> the aesthetic definitely says female. Um, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun for the whole family. It is. It's fun for everyone. <laughs> kind of like our film today, I would say. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> yes. film that just about anybody could jump into if you're a horror fan. So, Bradley. Yes. What movie will we be unpacking today? Uh, we are doing the somewhat maligned in my words classic uh cry wolf cry wolf a film i had not seen until you brought it to my attention for this podcast and i'm very interested in digging into your choice for it uh but before i do that i'm going to quickly read out imdb's synopsis for the film see if we agree with how well it uh, encapsulates what actually takes place in the film or what feelings we kind of got from it as well since feelings do kind of guide you along in your viewing experience. It says here, eight unsuspecting high school seniors at a posh boarding school who delight themselves on playing games of lies come face to face with terror and learn that nobody believes a liar, even when they're telling the truth. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> spooky and, and so disastrous. I'd say it's a pretty decent description of the film if you want to keep the details away of course this is a mystery yeah but it's definitely very a very um high vision of it it's very yeah i guess the best way to say it's it's very um vague vague yeah it's vague enough that it's technically correct so just okay this is a mystery film this one definitely borrowed a lot from those 90 slashers that you were talking about Mm. who done it aspect of it and a lot of the aesthetic as well is like a weird mishmash of exactly of its time and totally from about 10 years beforehand at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that, anybody who's interested in seeing this, who hasn't seen it yet, there will be spoilers in this podcast and that will do you a bit of a disservice because the whole point of the movie is uh, what the fuck is going on basically is, is the, the, the gist of the film. So please make sure that you've seen it already. Or if you're like, I'm probably not going to watch it. Stay with us. Listen and regale. See, but really, watch it. It is... But do watch it. It's it's wild. It's so good. So I put out a call for guests to fill some spots, and <laughs> you very nicely reached out to me through the Twitter account. I was very happy to see it. It's always wonderful if somebody approaches me for the podcast, because I'm, I'm happy that this is a place that people want to be on. And... You were very quick with your selection with Cry Wolf when I asked you what movie you would want to talk about. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. in the context of beauty in horror, 
why did this one kind of initially pop into your head? Initially, I mean, I will say um, it was kind of a very surface level. I think this is a very pretty movie. I think that, you know, obviously any movie that's going to have a cast of teenagers, they're going to go for a certain aesthetic with the cast. But I do think just the setting, the where I, I think they shot this in Canada uh, or possibly upstate New York. And it's in the fall. And it's those like really rich amber tones. And it just is, it immediately takes you to a specific place. It's not an anywhere right. kind of place. It's like, no, this is a lush, it's high end, it's beautiful. And that's when I think of like a beautiful movie. This movie has always stuck with me as like my ideal high school movie aesthetic. My birthday is in October, so like I, I've always loved the fall, right. and just like the the leaves, like the the crunching leaves in every scene, and you have this like almost sepia tone over everything. It feels very like warm, but like the cold warm where you're like, oh, it's cold outside, mm-hmm. but there's like a warm sunlight. Like it is. I just think it is a beautiful movie. And then getting into the story, I love a good mystery. Uh, I love. I think that's why I love the Scream series so much. Is it is a whodunit, and it almost, you don't even know that this is a mystery until it's revealed, which is crazy. Like it is, it's just so good. I want to call it a noir. I feel like it maybe it borrows from that. Um, but I don't know if it is a full noir movie. It's not fully leaning into it. it it's more of a slasher, mm-hmm. but it is like, when I think of it, I think like there is such a clean visual aesthetic that they were clearly like going for. And to me, it was just, it's beautiful. It's just a beautifully lit movie. It's beautifully laid out. And then the ending is such a satisfying kind of wrap up. Yeah. It, so to unpack a few of those things then. Yeah. I, I see that on, on the vision scale, there was a definite strong intended vision that was being mm-hmm. put forth throughout this film. And it was really interesting to me because you, you, you threw me a curveball. I <laughs> will say, <laughs> yeah, nobody's, you know, brought up teenage uh, slashers or especially I, not many things from the early 2000s either. So it was really interesting for me to see a movie that was so like 2005 teenage slasher stuff. I'm like, OK, OK, let's let's unpack this. And I see <clears> what you're getting at with the, the visuals and the stylings of everything, especially that tone. I agree with you that I'm a huge fan of the autumn as well. Uh, so you were from Georgia. I got that correct. Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm originally from Mississippi. So, you know, it's pretty much the not summer time for us. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> so, it was so nice for me. I hate the heat. It was just nice to be uh, able to walk preach. around outside and not feel like you were going to melt, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a very soft spot for those sorts of aesthetics as well. Anytime you can give me the the leaves and that kind of hazy, warm yes. sun, as you put it. I like that descriptor. It really appeals to me. And I had forgotten just what a 2000s movie looked like until I watched this. <laughs> I like, yeah. Oh, it's been so long, you know? It's a strong it aesthetic. Is, it is. Like, even Scream 3 kind of held on to the previous Scream aesthetic mm-hmm. in a modern era, but, like, this had the, the Nokia phones and the digital swipes with the transitions between the yes. scenes and stuff. And I was really into that shit back in the day. So it's uh, a very refreshing thing for me to see. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, futuristic 2000s vibe. Mm-hmm. And this came out, um, I had just graduated high school when this came out. Okay. Uh, and I was like a freshman in college. I was leaning full into the internet age. Uh, I had just gotten my first cell phone. So like this to me is like the epitome of that time. It is 
a slasher that's like above it as far as intellectual. Like they're trying to be more thoughtful. It's the the almost collegiate private school setting. To me, I like I will be very honest. I was desperate for school uniforms in high school oh. because I thought they were cute. Like that's it. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't believe in anything behind them. I was like, no, I just think they're adorable. Uh, Britney Spears set me on a path that I did not deviate <laughs> from. And I've always wanted them. So that that full uniformed vibe in the movie, just I ate it up. But the the digital side of it, the where they were really leaning into internet culture, I think um, mm-hmm. the the year they were in, it was teetering on it. Like I think Scream Three had kind of touched on the digital idea with the voice changer, and yeah, but they didn't really dive into it. I think until and I I could be very wrong, and I also know this movie is. Uh, a trigger for some people, and I apologize, but Halloween Resurrection, when they really dug into yeah, you're right. the internet streaming and you know really building community over the internet, and I think this was the mobile side of it, where it was like IMing and cell phones and kind of like really the digital transitions, you know, uh, the idea of building a fake persona over the internet. I think that this was right on the cusp of you know Twitter and all those things that were really going to start building you know, the, the internet personas. And I think that this was kind of that first foray into bringing it into horror. Yeah. It was really interesting to see a film that for as stylized as it was, and very much a, like a studio product mm-hmm. also trying to show a very realistic side of how the internet was being used at the time. And a lot of movies at the time did more supernatural stuff with just oh dudes mm-hmm. in the the digital coding and I think even oh, Hellraiser yeah. at that time was getting into it. I think that's around the time that Deader was coming out. I'm not too yeah. sure about that. Could be around Hellseeker actually when that one, uh, that one might have been the one coming out. But in, in any case, it, you know, it was all about making sure that the demons were infesting your internet and that the internet was. Yeah. And in this case, it was just okay. But what do really dangerous people do with this stuff? Right. Right. And that was really interesting to see because I think anybody who's ever been harassed on the internet or who's ever just experienced kind of shitty people in high school talking to each other and hazing you mm-hmm. and stuff, this is how it went. This is how they spread rumors, you know, chain letters and stuff. Yeah. It, it was so cool to see that because I didn't feel that this film stepped very far out of the realms of possibility, even though I was expecting it to. Right. Especially with the idea of the, the storyline, especially the idea of like taking a real life in in the, I guess in the universe of the uh, movie, a real life murder, and then creating a lie around that. Mm-hmm. Like that to me stuck out so intensely of like, that's, that's very realistic. People do that all the time. Like that people make their own stories up uh, off of horrible events that happen. And I don't know, I guess, especially I just rewatched it to kind of brush up and I was like, God, the, the idea of this, being so realistic to, to now to like what yeah. people do now. It's, it's mind blowing. It's very forward thinking. It really was. That for me was quite a beautiful thing. I liked that it was, I mean, there are some elements to it that it's very much of its time and it, it yes. can, you know, so everybody, it is a very tough watch in some places. If you're really triggered by particular, uh, gender slurs and stuff uh mm, course, mm-hmm. you know, you know homosexual uh, homophobic slurs uh, they're they're in here it's a 2005 movie it's, it's a 2005 uh, movie yes for sure that said it was very indicative of the people at the time too mm-hmm. it definitely um some of those uh caught me off guard it's been it's been a few years since i've watched it 
and uh, a lot of the homophobic content was like, oh god, I can't believe that this used to just be such a normal thing we'd listen to, so it didn't bother us. Yeah. I'm like, oh geez, you guys. I mean, it's high school. It makes sense. <laughs> These are high schoolers, so yeah. they're shitty kids. But they also make a point of it too. I actually liked that. You could see where if this movie had been made now, it would have been far more a freaky kind of situation where you would have yeah. better representation and, and really just flat out called out characters for certain behavior because they had a very diverse cast, which could have been a studio thing just to have it. But I also liked that they included it in the conversations. So while they still have their kind of like Stu and Billy kind of banter as they do mm-hmm. in Scream you have them really clapping back against the people who are saying that kind of shit. It's mainly Randall, who's just, you know, saying a lot of homophobic and racist stuff. Yeah. But they call him out like, hey, you're the only one here who's focused on people being gay all the time. Right. It's like that that tell is very obvious, sir. Exactly. It was such a great line. And, you know, nowadays they would have leaned into that more heavily. I don't know if they would have explored <clears throat> Randall necessarily, but they at least would have had a character really like slap him down and, and make him feel like shit. But, you know, he even seems to kind of admit it when he, like, has this glint in his eye when they're like, says, you know, it's a big tell of yours. And he just kind of smirks about it. I'm like, OK, right. Okay, see what you're getting at. Um, especially in 2005, you weren't just going to openly be like, well, I'm your gay friend. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in a movie. You know, <laughs> it was a lot harder to do that back then. And uh, so it does make it a difficult watch. But it also was at least nice to see that the people who were being attacked by those or by that language weren't having it. And then they get to the story and just like, yeah, but these are side characters. So let's focus on the, the, the people <laughs> that we're going to be let's with. Her. Focus on the, the straight white people who are leading the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Who are, Oh, there's something, aren't they? <laughs> they, what's weird. Is, um, I just read that the main actor, um, who plays Owen just came out. I was like, Oh my God. Can you really? imagine how good this would have been if he was a, a gay character? Would've like loved that. If Tom was like his love interest, if Tom was Dodger, right? Oh my gosh! So or or Randall or Randall. If yeah. they did it with Randall, oh my god! If if he and Randall had this like enemies to lovers storyline, I'd be so down. It would have been tragic too. Soon, so tragic. Hollywood, listen, I'll remake this movie. Uh, <laughs> Got to do. It. I actually, I I do every time I watch uh, a movie that's ripe for a remake. I do immediately go like, ah, oh, this would be so good if this person was gay. Like just let's, that's what was wrong the first time is like, they needed a gay lead. They needed something that subverted the genre in a certain way. And uh, this movie, I think I really do think this could be great for a remake, especially with how internet culture is these days, mm-hmm. um, how prevalent the internet is in everyone's everyday life. It could be so good. If anybody's out there financing. <laughs> it would be really <laughs> interesting to see how they would use modern day social media and technology mm-hmm. as well, since it goes a lot deeper now and you can affect people from a distance. You know, they, they touch upon that a little bit in this movie, but of course mm-hmm. to up the drama, they're going to primarily focus on how it affects the school and everybody who's on campus. But eh, you know, uh, I think it would have been, I think it's, more appropriate now than say something like unfriended you know like we've had that right internet's evil i get it um but i just like seeing shitty people get comeuppance for mistreating the services they have Mm -hmm. being shitty yeah exactly and there's something scarier where it's like it's different than like a ghost on the internet it's like no like this is a real person and they just happen to have uh tools that you never thought were so invasive before that they really like people's 
careers get ended with one tweet. So it's like yeah. you can really destroy someone's life. I guess they did that on Unfriended. It was just a ghost behind it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's insane, especially looking into like how even physically connected people's homes and cars and everything are to the internet. Yeah. It's like this really could. I mean, I guess the Child's Play remake touched on that a little bit, but like it's it's insane. It again, I I marvel at the pretense this movie had to where where things would go and how scary you know this idea of like using the internet as a tool could be exactly yeah yeah sorry i'm processing that a little bit Mm -hmm. i really appreciated it as well how they were just kind of a couple steps ahead of the world in a sense i'm sure people at the time watching it were like you would never use the internet for something like that that's yeah who would be duped by this Right, And I think nowadays it's really easy. You, you were already touching upon how prevalent it is for current issues we have, especially misinformation. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to see is that's kind of how a lot of this misinformation started. People like to just think that if you see somebody spreading misinformation, that it all starts from ignorance. Sometimes, and I think a lot of the times your direct involvement, the people that you know, the people you see, they are just spreading information on from an ignorant standpoint. But right. the origins very often come from somebody who's bored and they just want to see if it kicks off. They just want to stir shit up. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 I think that is such a good touchstone of thinking of misinformation and how quickly it spreads. Sometimes it is started out of malicious intent. I think, especially in the US, you've seen lately people spreading literal lies just because they want their team or their side or something to look better. And it's like, but you know it's not true. And like in this case, where they start this rumor of a serial killer coming to campuses and doing certain things, it's like, yeah, it's not, I wouldn't think that this is real. I would think, oh, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are going to believe it. Like there are, especially when you're in high school and you're so trusting of your people around you and your peers, you're like, oh, well, why would he say this if it wasn't happening? He's like, it is, um, it's almost uh, sorry, it takes me a second. It's almost painful to see because you're like, oh gosh, this is how it started. It started with chain letters and now it's, you know, trying to discredit an entire, you know, branch of the government. Like it's it's like, oh my gosh, this is where it started. This is how this idea kind of took hold with some people. They started out as teenagers, you know, faking that they know Beyonce to like now it's like they're faking entire sciences. So it's crazy. It's crazy how that is, again, so prevalent. So like, it's grown to such an extent over the course of like 15, 16 years. It has grown to an extent that is quite disgusting, really. And yes. just devastating. Uh, I get it on some level. You know, I have family who's fallen into some of this. I have friends mm-hmm. from back home. We've mentioned where we're from. We're from the South. We have we know plenty yes. of people who oh, yeah. know better. But they've always been susceptible to just wanting to have some sort of information or truth that just makes it all make sense and sometimes just being told well it's just to hurt you is enough Mm -hmm. to make it make sense to some people and they're like that's good enough for me and that's what it's really sad because you're preying on people who are just desperate who are looking for an alternative to their suffering Mm -hmm. and you're or a reason for it you know especially in this movie they have you have high schoolers who they're probably very scared that a girl was actually killed in the town their school is in. And this is their way of like, oh, well, this is why it happened. There's a reason. It's not having to face, like, some people are just shitty. It's like, no, it's a serial killer, and he has a pattern, and it's happened before, and it'll happen again. You're kind of 
I guess the best you're movifying the problem. You're making it into something that you've seen before and you've seen the good guy persevere. And um, I think that happens a lot today where people, you know, they they're looking for a reason for something to happen. That's like a narrative they can get behind because they've seen it before in media. And everybody likes to think that they're Sidney Prescott when we're most most of yes. us are Tatums. We're really just yeah. edgy people who try to go through the doggy door when we should have just checked first. And our, our boobs never fit, and we don't no. know why we're trying. And we really don't know why our nipples are so hard all the time. I know. I blame a wine scene. <laughs> I, I don't have any proof. I don't have any hearsay. I just, I, I blame the wine scenes. Or a very cold set. Fair. Blame the Weinsteins for sure. Uh, <laughs> hell, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was actually a way for them to mock the Weinsteins, uh, knowing Wes Craven Fair. Uh, yeah. and, and Russ McGowan. So anyway, that, that's that's a tangent. But, it, you know, the reason we're bringing up things like Scream, though, is this movie evokes Scream very heavily. Uh, it does. Some could use the word derivative if you want to be a bit of a jerk about it. But I do see more inspiration than anything else. It's kind of their take on that in a very 2005 kind of way. I mean, we have Jared Padalecki here. It's, you know, it's it's the most 2005 teen movie you're going to get with this cast. It is so 2000. Like, I, when I sat down to rewatch it, I was like, oh, this is like, I'm right back at 18 years old. <laughs> I'm like, my crush on Jared Padalecki is very strong, and it's only going to get stronger when Supernatural comes out. And it is, I, I like that you bring up that it's it's not derivative of Scream, it is influence, but like, I mean, wasn't everything, Yes. anything after 96, there's, there's a touch of Scream in there, whether it's how they cast the movie, or how the story goes, or how they had to have the twist ending. Mm-hmm. And I love that that is... It's here, but it's not like a lot of late 90s where they they just copied and pasted the Scream script and changed adjectives. Like, it really is. It's like, no, we know there's going to be a twist. We want to include modern culture. We want to include young actors who look like actual people of that age. And I, lo- I love it. And it, I love Scream. So, like, any movie that is close to Scream is, like, in my heart. But I think that they, they really did just take that influence and go like, oh, but I, again, that noir twist, they took it to a place that I honestly just wasn't expecting them to take that screen flavor. Right. I think that's what makes it a little special, too, is because it's kind of like th- there are three movies that immediately come to mind for me that I can feel like they wanted to, like, mash them together and then do their mm-hmm. own thing. You have Scream, you have The Skulls, and you have Cruel Intentions. Yes. And you just cram them all together. So you have this weird sexual energy with all the characters like, everything I say is flirting with you, or is it? And then you also have the skulls where it's like, oh, my privileged life is so terrible, even though yes. it's, in a, it's in a vacuum. <laughs> and then you have Scream, of course. That, that's where they did I feel a pretty good job at the whodunit because the surprises in this movie – I saw coming only because I've seen so many of these movies, but I yeah. couldn't pick which one I thought it was until the very end. So they kept me guessing. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember when I watched this the first time I was fully blown away. Like I, I went in expecting a slasher movie and I wasn't, I just wasn't expecting. Can, can, are we at a place where we can just talk about the twist ending? Sure. Yeah. Let's just talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't like to do it necessarily as a play by play. Yeah. So when like the when the, the twist happened and you realized nobody had actually died and it was all a plan of Dodgers to get back at like an ex teacher she had slept with, I was like, holy shit! Like I fully 
was not expecting it. You can see the shades of Scream. Um, you can definitely see. I, I love that you brought up the cruel intentions of it all because everybody's so horny for everyone in the show, oh, this yeah. movie. Oh, so yeah. everybody. But like the that twist at the end is like, oh my god, oh my god. And then it's it's like when you go back and rewatch it, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. Every she is playing him the entire time. She's not even subtle about it either. She's really just no. Like, hey, I'm a wolf. Uh. And you're like, she was leading the game. She literally was leading the game the whole time. It was her idea to do all these things. Like it, it's brilliant. I think Dodger is probably one of my favorite horror characters, specifically for that last scene when like she's still trying to pass off the oh, and you're just upset. You don't understand. He's explaining everything to her, and then she breaks and she drops it, and she's like, well, but who's gonna know? And just like. You're like, oh, I'm like, queen, queen. She's so good. <laughs> like, I'm like, this woman is a sociopath. She's going to destroy someone's life again. And again, like, I was going to say. I'm like, give me a sequel. I want to see her do this in all stages of life. I want middle-aged Dodger doing this to an ex-husband. Like, I want it. I I'm here for it. they made that movie. It's called Gone Girl. Oh, you're right. It was. <laughs> oh, my God. There you go. You can just say that that is the sequel to Cry Wolf. <laughs> Gone Girl is the unofficial sequel to Cry Wolf. There you go. Uh, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, shit. See, it, what I think they did really well is similar to what Scream did. The moment you meet her and then you hear about what they're going to do and stuff and how she's like really into it, like mm-hmm. sexually aroused by the whole thing. Yes. It's like, oh, you're the killer. You're going to be the one doing all of this. And then they do a really good job of us getting so caught up in Owen's little uh, straight guy, you know, problems. Straight guy problems, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that... You, you kind of forget her involvement in a lot of this, and especially that whole swimming scene, you know, when she does actually yeah. kind of get clung to the head with ice. Like, there's no way she would have known they were going to do that. But it right. played into her hands perfectly. And she's such a good improviser in the, in the situation that she could roll with it really, really well. They also really nicely, through her very sociopathic behavior, actually address the dangers of predatorial behavior from teachers and what mm-hmm. it does to a student. I loved how she made it really clear, like whether she was lying or not, the fact that Owen was just so obsessed with his own problems and his, you know, the fact, I mean, he was being gaslit, but still the fact that he was just so focused on that and not really thinking about the fact that why would a girl who is, who is saying that she's honest, of course, but a girl who is like taking a liking to you and everything, why would you immediately jump to she's a slut? when you see her with the teacher, why aren't you mad at the teacher at all? And I'm glad she called him out on that. Which is, I mean, I, I think we have all kind of grown through the mid 2000s age of like romanticizing the teacher student relationship. I think pretty little liars definitely kind of as, as big a fan of that show as I am, I go back and I'm like, Oh God, she is, they are really selling this relationship. Like it's okay. Like this Mm. is, this is awful. And you think about it now and you're like, why are like I think about the original scream and the misogyny behind it, where it's the anger towards Maureen Prescott. But like, did anybody say anything to Billy's dad about cheating on his wife and his family? Like, it's mm. it's so deep, and it, it, I think that that misogyny itself was so culturally acceptable at that time that we're like, of course, this seventeen-year-old girl sleeping with her teacher, she's the problem. You know, yeah. she she made the mistake. The teacher. We didn't even mention Bon Jovi in this whole situation, but it's like, oh no, she did it. No, we haven't dropped his name yet. <laughs> and um, going towards the the idea that like he was sleeping with a girl from town, she kills her. Like it's it's like the other girl. She probably had no idea who you were. She was literally in the same boat you were, sleeping with that man. Who he is the problem here, not you. 
and she killed her first. Um, granted, it was all to set up the teacher, but like, did she have to die? Like, well, couldn't you just out the teacher for being a pedophile? Like, it just it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's rich. The misogyny is rich, and I think it it comes yeah. through a lot in the story, focusing so much on how Owen feels about it, and, and like. Yeah. Um, and granted, that could have just been a, a misdirect for the audience. And I think a lot of it probably was because they did focus a lot on Owen and his sad privileged boy story. <laughs> where he's like, my dad doesn't like me that much. And I bounced from school to school. His dad's a dick. He really is. Like, I, I feel like I've carried this resentment towards Gary Cole since then. But uh, I'm like, you're just a bad father. Like, you always play mean dads. <laughs> he does. Uh, and I loved the British accent in this movie, too. I was like, this is unnecessary. I don't know why anybody's English in this movie at all, other than right. to show that he's, like, so, like, he's such bad Out of news place. that, yeah, he, they don't even... England didn't want him anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, like, with his dad, I'm like, why didn't you hire an English actor? This is hilarious to me. Like, I'm still expecting him at any moment to have the whole, like, yeah, that is... Right. <laughs> yeah, like, he was in that era still. If you could just stay in the school. If you could just oh stay my in God. school. Yeah, exactly. And I get... Maybe he's just the name draw. Like they, they were like, oh, but we got Gary Coleman. And I'm like, yeah, but can he do an English accent? And should he? I don't know if Gary Cole is the draw that anybody might think he is. They I think, think he, yeah. <laughs> I think they, they could afford him and they got Bon Jovi. Yeah, I feel like what's weird is I don't remember anybody ever like going, oh, Bon Jovi's in a scary movie. Like, I don't remember any kind of conversation about that. Well, he had already done one. Did he? Oh, he did. Um vampires yes i was i was thinking for some reason there's also a guy who looks just like him in idle hand and for a very long time i thought that was bon jovi oh. and then you mean the guy in the truck yeah 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 yeah. yeah. my husband's like that's not john bon jovi i'm like no it is he's just younger he's like one he has not been younger since the 80s and that's not him <laughs> fair uh, I can see where the resemblance comes from. Maybe they were trying mm-hmm. to, you know, make him a evoke it. Jovi. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 is, it is funny how that movie did not really get any fanfare for getting Bon Jovi into a teen slasher film. Uh, but then again, there are a lot of movies from that era, even a little bit more recently as well. If you take a movie like Excision that has John Waters in it and it, it got almost yeah. no fanfare when it came out. It was just a little, a little indie film and the cast in that movie. So, you know, if a studio doesn't have the, the clout, I suppose the, the weight to really push it around, uh, it doesn't matter who's in the movie. It's just mm-hmm. not going to get the same. Sort it's just of, not going to happen. Yeah. You're not going to get that attention. The, 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 the one that you want at the very least. Mm-hmm. And I think Bon Jovi is actually pretty decent in this movie. I was quite surprised. <sighs> I mean, right. he didn't have to do a lot emotionally, but uh, he was a believable teacher. I was, I was pretty- he was, and it was like, okay, I can see that you're like the cool teacher. I can see how you could allure like young girls. You, you're handsome, like you're fun, you're young. Um, it was, it was nice. It didn't feel out of place. It felt, it felt in universe. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, okay, so. I want to do the difficult part of the podcast now. Okay. And I want to first, before I want, before I get into the quote, that's where I'm kind of leading into. For, but mm-hmm. before I do that, I'd like to ask people this. And it's a thing I've been doing recently. So you're one of the earlier people to be asked this. But <laughs> I want to know, what is beauty to you when it comes to art? Oh, that's a tough one. Um I think of it almost like lightning. You know, there 
lightning strikes and it's quick and it's powerful. And I think of that when it, especially when it comes to media, I think beauty in media is something it's unexpected and it's intense and it's incredibly, I think, personal to the person. Um, I'm, I'm not of the idea. Like I understand that not everybody loves this movie. Um, a lot of people would say it's not a great movie <laughs> and that's fine. Um, cause I think beauty is personal. I think that, you know, especially when it comes to art, not everyone is going to be moved by the same image or the same music or movies. Uh, that's why I think it is. It's like lightning when it strikes you, it hits you and it's powerful and it is, you know, it, it changes you a little bit on the inside. And I think that that is it's kind of like the, I hate saying this term, but it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder <laughs> because I think it's, it's different for everyone on the most basic form. It's like people who are super attracted to one actor and, people who feel the exact opposite, you know, it's like everyone has their different thing that kind of strikes them. And I think that is what's almost the most beautiful thing about art in general is it is such an intensely personal experience. It affects all of us differently. It's, it's beautiful in its own right because of that, because it is so individual. And I I think that is why people are drawn to things they love so much is not only do you get that, you know, visceral reaction, but it's it's such a personal experience that you want to have it again. You want to kind of re-up that vigor and excitement you get from having it. I love that answer. I really do. There is a lot of debate in academic discourse on the nature of beauty, and mm-hmm. especially on how subjective it is. So a lot of the work that I've done has explored the minutia of this and see where is the subjective aspect of it and where's the objective aspect of it. So it's kind of become my mission as a horror media person to help people reassess the difference between liking something and it being good, you know, actually mm-hmm. a, a, a good piece of work and whether they're having an aesthetic response to something because aesthetics drive us a lot differently than narrative but also you can find it within narrative. And beauty is one of those aesthetic feelings that isn't just bound to what we see and what we hear. So it can also come from context as well. I've found at least through the podcast. And so what I love about this is you've touched upon a lot of different discourses in academia with this one answer. And you didn't even know it probably. No. (laughs) Uh, So you kind of lean towards uh, Plato. So this is how far back we're going here, like almost 5,000 Oh, dang. Okay. And, you know, Plato, for him and a lot of his Greek contemporaries, beauty was this huge, rapturous experience, but it's fleeting. It's really just this kind of moment. And Mm -hmm. it is the most perfect, joyful experience in a just a microcosm. So it's something that you get addicted to. You want to get it back. You want to experience it more. So you start seeking out beautiful things beautiful Mm -hmm. people, beautiful animals, things like this. And through those sorts of responses, people have dissected more and more like, well, what things can be beautiful and how does beauty show itself? And I love that you bring this movie in because it did surprise me. You know, I'm so used to a film that is designed by its very visual nature to make people just go, this is a very good movie and it's very beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. 24 style films, you know, all tour cinema. And it always 
interests me more when somebody brings in a personal favorite and then tells me why. Because I love that when you came in, you immediately started talking about the aesthetics. So although we may not necessarily share the same passion for those aesthetics, Mm -hmm. I can totally understand the feeling that you're going through. And I think that's the important part is can we share our joy, our delight in beautiful moments? I'm not a... Personally, I am not a proponent of beauties in the eye of the beholder on a very strict sense because I do think Mm -hmm. there's an objective part to it that there's got to be something there that we can, if we look close enough, if somebody says this is beautiful and and they describe it in a way that sounds very much like the type of language of beauty in general, Mm -hmm. then there must be something there that both people in this conversation will agree this is where it is. Yeah. If you get what I'm saying. Even I do, if it's, yeah. You know, because I also like that you, you mentioned that it's a very pretty movie when we opened up as well. And mm-hmm. th- this is how detail we're getting. And in a lot of the research that I'm doing, they tried to separate things like pretty from beautiful because pretty has its own political landscape. It has a more superficial response. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't linger in the mind quite as much, but it does complement beauty. And this movie, I think, has a very interesting approach to beauty because it's in the movie itself that they definitely chose a cast that they considered to be both pretty but also beautiful. Certain yeah. actors and actresses are definitely chosen because these people really resonated with the casting directors. Mm-hmm. And they know people in general are going to respond to them. So we're seeing the the problems of beautiful people, right? This is where it feels like the skulls and cruel intentions. Yes. Oh, my beautiful life. Uh Uh, I'm so pretty it hurts it's so pretty it hurts exactly so and you scream kind of made fun of that that was part Mm -hmm. of the satire scream is like how can can I get the hottest cast possible and they're all a bunch of dorks and I love that they did that like you know you get Rose McGowan but she's this bitchy sister who dies very unceremoniously halfway through the movie right when she's normally like a big the hot powerhouse yeah. model, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I feel that this movie was doing the same. I mean, Jared Padalecki kind of built his career on being the himbo, and yeah. he knew what he was doing. He he's mm-hmm. so good at playing, huh? That we often think that that's just how it is. When I'm sure he knows what his career is. Uh, at least Supernatural's kind of proven that to us. The little nods and winks that he's doing throughout the entire uh, run of that series, or did. Has it ended yet? I think so. Yeah, I think it ended last spring or last winter. End of an era. Fifteen years. That is yeah. insane. That's impressive. That's impressive. Um, but to the point that I'm getting at, so we have physical beauty that's explored in the film, and they, you know, they explore attraction through each other as well. Uh, but then you also have the beauty of like the struggles of being other, since you do have people of different races. You do have. Mm-hmm a coded closeted gay character in there as well come to find out a gay actor playing a straight man as well (laughs) so uh that has a new (laughs) uh bit of coding behind it now i'd say as well so it's just an interesting take for me and i was really happy you brought it in but your description of, of what beauty is i would say you're on the money with a lot of discourse on the topic and uh, it's just so cool to hear it. You know, this is why I challenge people with this is just to kind of show this is where the the subjective disappears. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of us would agree on what beauty is. You know, you know it when you see it and you know it when you feel it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
And I think it, it's something again. Beauty to me is something that is so uh, personal, and I like I like your differentiation between pretty and beauty because I think that anybody would say, "Oh, Jared Padalecki's pretty," but like to look at him and be like, "Oh, but this is beautiful about him, and this is beautiful about his performance," and they are very separate things. Yeah, I think pretty pretty is dictated by cultural norms and and stereotypical forms i think of beauty where it's like well jerry padalecki's six four he's gorgeous it's like well yes <laughs> but like what is it about him that is beautiful and i think it's 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 a different it's a different measurement yes it, it is a much different measurement and, and it's also the fact that it's a much different aesthetic response too mm-hmm. if we find any member of the cast beautiful it's really gonna hit you it's not just Oh, what a handsome person. There are a lot of these people out there, and it's not to say that they're not beautiful, but that is where I do feel that it's in the eye of the beholder, whether that's the response that they're getting from the individual. Yeah. But that does mean that there's some quality there that is objectively beautiful, that if that person were to explain to me, say they're going to talk about like the the deepness of his voice and just the way he speaks and the way his brows mm-hmm. are shaped or something i'd be like i kind of see where you're you're coming from here you know these are unique qualities about him that that's beautiful right when you can pinpoint something that's unique about something and appreciate it for what it is mm-hmm. and those are things that evoke a specific reaction in in the watcher like uh i think the i love how you mentioned you know the deepness of his voice and the way his brow moves and the shape of his brow and it's like those are things that are so personal, and so the the feeling you get about those it's, it's so shaped specifically by the the viewer and who is seeing it. I love that. I think that's so wonderful. I think there's so many um, just on the idea of beautiful actors. There's so many people that wouldn't necessarily be considered. Like I don't look at Benedict Cumberbatch and think, "Oh my God, he's so attractive. I love him. I want to be with him," but I. I can see why people find him beautiful and I do understand it. So it's like, it's the difference between like, you know, someone who is stereotypically pretty versus someone who is beautiful. And I, I really, yeah. I remember my, my mom at a very young age, we were listening to something and somehow somebody compared Lindsay Lohan to Hillary Duff. And mm. she was like, yeah, there's like Hillary Duff is beautiful, but Lindsay Lohan is striking. And mm. that was the first time I was like, Oh, th- I understand that. I understand what you mean by that. It's like, they're both objectively pretty, but there is a difference in like the softness of one versus the sharpness of another, how they are, they're two different kinds of pretty and two, mm-hmm. and one is more beautiful versus one being more, I get the best way to say is like shocking and aggre- or arresting, you know? Yeah. Arresting. I like that. That's a really good term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here you go. You're also now touching upon later discourse on uh, beauty. <laughs> so <laughs> for where a lot of the discourse I based a lot of my work from, Emmanuel Kant, uh, Edmund Burke, this is all from like 1700s, 1800s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they talked about softness versus rigidity versus squareness versus everything about that. So those aspects were given more of a hierarchical standard to be like well we we are just all agreeing that if it's smooth and it's soft and uh that there are different contours and stuff that some that most beautiful objects seem to have these properties it's not Mm -hmm. yeah obviously it's not possible to really mathematically give an equation of what beauty is i think that's where the failings of a lot of academia has gone into is just trying so much to make a definitive 
this is beauty, but it's not an exact science like finding like a quark or something, you know? It's really a feeling, and we can get close to really understanding it, but I think the importance mm -hmm. is that we understand the emotion. The thing that you were liking when I was talking about all the little details of, say, if I wanted to describe Jared Padalecki as a beautiful person, you did so yourself when you were describing the film. This is why I open up with, why did you find it beautiful? Because mm. it's easy to say, this is a beautiful movie, and I can go, no, it's not. But <laughs> that's a stupid conversation, because it's not true. If you say it's beautiful, yeah. it immediately is beautiful. There is no objective difference. Subjectively, I may find different things enjoyable, I may have different tastes, but the moment you tell me it's beautiful and you can describe beauty to me in a way that makes sense beyond just, I don't know, everybody has good hair. Okay. Uh, but, you know, you told me what beauty is. Okay. You immediately got into the color palette and the mood and the tone <laughs> and the time and all of these aspects that, yeah, I totally see where you're getting at. I could immediately engage with you about those specific things because... I find them beautiful too. Or if I don't find, say, autumn very beautiful, I would know what it's like to have a very specific season or tone beautiful and know exactly what you're getting out of this movie and see it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's there. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't feel it from this film, and I'm not saying that I don't, but I'm just saying this is a kind of an educational thing for anybody listening to. Like, I liked that we managed to unpack this in such a easy kind of way, you know? And you've given really good examples. Uh, I real quick want to go into that quote again and talk about Yeah, of course. It. So admittedly, unlike most of the quotes that I brought to this podcast, this is from very new research. So most of the time I know the general gist of the full scope of what they're talking about and their research. But this is a book that I received for Christmas and I just started it. But it's about the significance of beauty. So what is important about knowing anything about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's early on. This quote's actually on the front page. Oh, great. <laughs> so to, to re restate what's said here, it says, Our appreciation for beauty involves a state of mind conducive to achieving both our cognitive and our moral rational ends. So, you know, our thought processes and our sense of morality and ethics. So the feelings that we get. And they are ends that are difficult to achieve because of our sensible nature. So this comes from the author... Patricia M. Matthews from her book, The Significance of Beauty, Kant's on Feeling and the System of the Mind. And her whole point, what I can gather from the very few pages that I've read uh, and from the back of the book, is to just explain why it's important to know how to talk about beauty and what importance beauty has with us as humans to understand things. So there is this feeling of, you know, we experience beauty by experiencing things you can't seek beauty out that's a fallacy if you have a goal in mind you're not actually having a an aesthetic experience aesthetic experiences i like that you put the lightning bolt because they just kind of slap mm -hmm. you in the face you just go huh <laughs> i felt a thing <laughs> and you don't know why <laughs> and the only way to do that is just to sit back and experience and then see if you have an experience. So you can search to see when you have them, but you're not always going to be in the right mindset. And that's what she's talking about here. She's talking about the difference between like cognitive, so you're thinking about it really hard, your moral. So if we get into the language used in the film, or if we get into the the, the slut shaming and the the pedophilia, all of that, if all of those things are like really triggering for somebody, their moral mind is going to kick in and 
is going to completely dismantle an aesthetic experience because you're not looking at how everything is framed or how people are, are, are positioned in the screen. You're not looking at the color palette anymore, the score, none of this. You're just like, did they use the R slur? And you're just stuck in yes. ugly negative feeling that you have. And I had to shake myself out a couple times because uh, it took me by surprise. But I, I just thought the quote really fit because I also felt it kind of applied to the situation in the film when they're trying to deduce what's going on. I think if Owen took more time to take a step back and really think about what does he see? What does he actually, how sensible is he being in the moment? But he has a fight between his cognitive processes and his moralistic processes, but he's not really experiencing the situation necessarily. Mm -hmm. He's acting throughout the entire film. Go, 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 go. I have to solve it. I have to solve it. I have to solve it. And I know that he's also in a fight-or-flight situation. He really thinks for a moment that he's being attacked. But even early on, when he already suspects that somebody's pranking him, he doesn't let it go. And he lets them prank him. I mean, he's easy to dupe, basically. And yeah, yeah. comes from his inability to get out of his head. At least that's what I'm kind of getting from this quote, just in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. I love the idea of, like, going back to it, like, you can't think about it like it, it it's almost like when i think of like i used to try meditation uh it wasn't for me because i just couldn't relax i'd be like i'm meditating <laughs> i am relaxing i am being peaceful like i was stuck in my cognitive mindset of it of like mm-hmm. i am doing such a good job just relaxing and it was like i'm not i'm not i'm not focusing i'm not letting it happen i'm just reassuring myself i'm thinking about it i'm thinking too much about it and i love that kind of relating that to like you can't appreciate beauty if you constantly go "Ooh, look how pretty this is yeah look how beautiful i find this you have to like let yourself actually i guess the best, the best word i think of embrace it you have to like fully take something in and have a reflection of what it is and think oh this is why it's beautiful this is why it's this this is why i feel this way after taking it in and after processing it. And I love that. I love that idea. I love the the thought, especially that Owen, if he had just stopped and really took in what was happening, he'd be like, Oh no, she's crazy. Like (laughs) this girl, this girl has clearly got alternative means here. She literally showed me that she is leading the sheep. Then with his, uh, that foe attack, he's like, they're literally showing me that they're willing to do something and fake something at my expense. And so it's like, he could have easily gotten out of it and he could have avoided so much, but he was constantly moving and going and reacting and reacting and thinking and reacting. That it's like, he didn't take it in. He just kept, I guess the best way to say is like, he kept ricocheting off of the events. He wasn't actually taking them in and like being in the moment. Yeah. In fact, I think the only problem I have with the film is that it kind of felt like whoever wrote it really sees themselves as Owen because he walks around acting like he's so observant and he can read people so well. Yes. And it, it's one of those situations where the movie punishes him for it, but then mm-hmm. gives him more or less the win at the end because the way he's like, 
or did you plan it all along? And then he gets into his little Sherlock mode of like planning it all out. And right. I, I would have loved if she would have been like, oh, did you figure that out all by yourself? Like if she had had some sort of snide kind of remark right. to make it really clear that he really just caught up, <laughs> I would have loved that. But this is a movie that was still kind of protecting your, your cishet white guy. Yes. And yeah. Your hero has to be the hero. Yeah. And uh, he was never a hero. He was always kind of a douchebag and he loved himself. He, if anything, he's a pawn the entire time. Yeah. But also in the little details of the film too, the times when, again, I know that Dodger is lying throughout the entire film and mm-hmm. everybody else is lying to him too, but more so Dodger. Cause you know, Tom is definitely like, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If you got somebody to do that, Jared Padalecki is the guy to play that. He's the one to do it, and and you still love him. He's like a puppy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I totally understood him getting involved. He's like, "Well, you trashed my room." Uh, <laughs> and, but with Dodger, so keeping in mind that she's lying, I'm not trying to take away from that, but I am saying that she still rightfully points out every time that he's just mindlessly saying shit to sound cool. So mm-hmm. he disses her friends. At the end of the game saying, uh, yeah, well, there's just a bunch of bored rich kids. So they're really easy to manipulate. She's like, well, those rich kids are my friends. So she's also like, right. are you saying that I'm easy to manipulate? Because I wasn't playing. Guess what? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's always in control. And her friends know this. They even call her out on it halfway through the film. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're the one who's always playing the uh, narrator. You're never actually mm-hmm. part of the whole thing. And lo- you never have to be a sheep. Yeah, she's never a sheep. She's she's the mega wolf basically mama wolf and she even says it she says you know you guys are playing checkers i'm playing chess and it's like she's like i'm operating on a different level you guys yeah. just don't understand you're you're kind of dumb exactly. like and I, I love thinking of when she did pull that um well those rich kids are my friends it's it was a full pull on him she knew exactly what she was doing by saying that mm-hmm. she was playing him from that moment she's like all right let's let's make him think he offended me let's yeah. keep him on his toes yeah whipped hard at that point so hard and so you know she calculatedly made sure that he would walk in while she's kissing the teacher because they had just had a moment out in the courtyard mm-hmm. she plays him so easily but i still love that she tells him to his face constantly how he isn't seeing the bigger picture and not so much to say you're not seeing me manipulate you but mm-hmm. you know, like the reason i'm able to manipulate you right now is because you just were so impulsive that you actually did something wrong and somebody who was as smart as you claim to be wouldn't have put their foot in their mouth like this. And I think on some level she wants him to be smart enough. Yes. Like, um, I think as Tom said earlier on, he's like, she's been waiting for someone who's going to fight back. She's been waiting for someone like on her level. And for a second, I think she thinks he is. And then she's just constantly disappointed by him. Yeah. The rest of the the film, like she is, she do, <laughs> yeah. She's like, all right, whatever. And then at the end, she's like, well, okay, sorry, bye. Like, like thanks for finally catching up. I guess. Thanks for uh, making that no longer my problem. I mean, yeah. She's like, I mean, if anything, you helped me figure something out. So cool. Yeah, and there's a. I, I'm happy you brought up that point with Tom saying that she's looking for some sort of intellectual e- equal because that is. For me, a great metaphor for the search for beauty that some people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an arrogant one in this case. She really sees herself as a beautiful entity, and 
she is the emblem of perfection. But I think the film tries to portray her as that as well. I mean, come on. You're talking about Britney Spears earlier. They do the whole Britney Spears thing. The moment she shows up, she goes, like she comes out of the door while he's mm-hmm. on the steps. And then she immediately drops something and has to bend it, bend over to pick it up. So we can see yep. her stockings, you know, and you yep. see the whole girl's school outfit. And then she looks up and she's all like Mary Jane Watson. Hello, tiger to him. And, she knew she got a live one the moment she stepped out the door. Yeah, she was like, "Oh, well, hello." Yeah, this is easy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's why I do genuinely love her character, and I love that in this story that was about the straight white guy, she was the smartest one in the room. She, she really was in charge of the whole thing, and it's like, even though, like, you know, she's. In the most basic of moral sense, she's the bad guy. Yeah. She's still, I mean, again, chaos gave you know, work. Like, she is, she's so good. Like, she, she really did get exactly what she wanted by manipulating the people around her. She was playing the game in, in the best way possible. And I know that's such an oversimplification, but the whole movie is telling you exactly what they're doing the whole time. Like, they're, it's a game. You lie to people, you get them on your side, you convince them it's not you. She did it she did the yeah. whole thing and and he was such an easy mark because she did play the femme fatale role. You know, she, like you said, with the stocking and the, the schoolgirl look and she turned it on immediately and was, she had him hook, line and sinker that first scene and then fully ditched him, which was probably the best part of that whole opening with her characters. <laughs> she just like, was like, all right, well, bye. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's reading him as well. I mean, she's asking him mm-hmm. a bunch of questions about how he got there, what's he doing. So she's just kind of like, what kind of guy is this? And so mm-hmm. she's instantly the bad girl. She's skipping the assembly. She's looking for, a re- you know, he comes to her aid to be an, uh, a white knight. And then she's just like, bye, because she knows that that's going to make him run yeah, after she, her. She doesn't need it. Yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love it. It's so, it's, uh, I just think it makes me love this movie that much more. Like, <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's one of those things where it's, um, again, finding the inherent beauty in a movie. It's I find so much excitement and, and wonder with stories like this where looking deeper into it, you know, past the, the basic level of things. And you're like, oh, she she really did it. It's I think of that way with a lot of um, whodunits. And uh, a lot of people have been talking. Uh, I hate to touch on Scream again. Like going back to Scream 4, I was rewatching it recently, getting ready for the new movie. And watching it knowing, spoiler alert, uh, that Emma Roberts was the killer. Watching back, you're like, oh my god, she was playing the killer the whole movie. Like, you you can see it. There's a part where she has to hide her under bed. I'm like, she just looks bored. And I, like, originally in my mind, I was like, oh, she's just not a great actress. I'm like, no, she that's a character choice. That's a specific thing that she is doing. She is making sure that when you go back and rewatch it, you're like, oh no, she's not scared. She's waiting she's just kind of hanging out. And I think that's the same thing with Dodger. Dodger had these moments where you're like, uh, I think the going back to when she's talking about her parents and being a townie and all this stuff, it's like, she's, she's not ashamed of this. I mean, she may be on some levels, but she's like, she's playing him for sympathy. So he stays on her side and he doesn't suspect her. Like she clearly was caught doing something shady and she's like, no, but I'm a little girl and I'm so cute and you can't, you can't blame me. I'm just scared. I'll be ostracized. Mm. And it's, it's so good. And it's, it's one of those, it's just, it's a movie you can, you, I feel like you appreciate more in retrospect, especially her performance. 
Yeah, I mean, there are parts of the performance that, of course, it's a little hokey because they are trying to emulate other movies that were very yes. sexually hokey kind of films. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that very Tiger-esque quality to her, it was a little funny to me sometimes. But, yeah, looking back on it and seeing how well she plays this subtlety of being bored, but also that's where that weird turned on kind of comes in. She's she's putting it on. She's actually playing with him and toying with him like a cat. Mm-hmm. But it's not just him. What I appreciate with the character a lot, and I'm amazed that actually Dodger hasn't become a kind of like Jennifer for Jennifer's body in that sense. She plays the entire school in a way that I've never seen in a movie like this. It's one of those things that I think if you had a, a less of a 2005 lens to make the movie from, if you had a more modern filmmaking lens to make it, it would have been a little more clear how she's manipulated everyone to the degree yeah. that she is both very obvious in what she's doing, but she's never called out. You know, normally we would see like the queen bee kind of character who just gets away with everything. And they're like, oh, please. And, you know, they don't try really hard to manipulate people, but we, you know mm-hmm. they're manipulating you, but you do it anyway. She's not that character. She's the one who is very mysterious to herself. She plays around with people. And then she gets real with you, quote unquote real, with you at the moment. You think it, you're an exception. Yeah, exactly. And the, yeah. the moment that you, you know, maybe you're drifting away from her, she finds a way to be like, okay, I'll open up to you, even though it's not real. But mm-hmm. she has mm-hmm. no reputation, and that's what is really incredible about her. She's popular in her circle, but she's not picked on by anybody. She's not targeted by the school. Her own friends don't really see her as a leader. They just see her as the girl who's really good at hosting the game. Yeah. And, okay, she has a slight reputation of toying with new new boys. But apart from that, normally... In a situation like this, this person's reputation would precede them. The craft plays on that with uh, Skeet Ulrich's character in that. I forget yeah. his name, but yeah. So, you know, you always have the character to like, be careful of that person. And with Dodger, they're just kind of like, oh, you met Dodger? She's just notable. Dodger's a little weird, isn't she? That's about it. Right. They don't warn him. It's more like, a, oh, she's just Dodger. She's Dodger. She's cool. And she's a little weird. But they don't see any thing wrong with her weirdness and i think that is the trick that shows how manipulative Mm. you can be that's the chess game right there is the fact that they say you know the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making people believe that he didn't exist and so to be right in front of people manipulating them and having them acknowledge you while also still being a step behind them and not really that interesting to them that's the game that's That's the game doing God, why why isn't Dodger a bigger icon? I'm gonna make a Dodger. I'm making a Dodger t-shirt. Do it, do it. I'm People doing like, it. What is this from? You're like the classic cry wolf. You've never oh, hmm. it's Criterion. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and funny too, this whole game that they're playing. You know, we have games like Among Us now, but before then, and somewhere in between time, I, I played a game around 2010 and onwards called Werewolves. Which I think, oh yeah, 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 its origins from this movie. Now that I think about it, it's almost the same. Um, the only thing that's different from it is that in their game, you can only have one person accusing per round, and then you vote on whether it's the accuser or the person being accused. Mm-hmm. In the actual werewolves game, it's more like Among Us, where you have you know the villagers find out who died from the werewolves the night before, what their eyes were closed, 
And then you have to just determine, I heard noises next to me and stuff, and you vote on who to lynch. And then after that, you go back to sleep, werewolves eat you, and you rinse and repeat until the, hopefully one of you wins. <laughs> or a stalemate occurs. Uh, but it was really interesting to see this prototype for that game appearing. I was like, I've played this game. It was never as weird and sexual, and I never put money on it, but... I never took my clothes off, but <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. We didn't mark each other and stuff either, which is a nice touch, by the way. The, the mark of the werewolf is a really nice touch. They had. Um, I distinctly remember when this was coming out. They had an online version you could play on the the website of the movie, uh, oh. and I probably played that at least fifty hours. Like it was. Oh. And what's weird is there's no like, there's no real way. <laughs> to actually play it with any kind of knowledge of what's happening around you because it's the internet. So really it was just fun discourse and then you died. Like there, there was no like uh, actual guessing who the wolf was because you're not in a room together and you can't hear anything. But it was, it was fun. It, it reminds me, there's a game I used to play uh, growing up at, at church camp <laughs> called Mafia. Mm-hmm. It's just like werewolf. It's, it's the same idea of like you close your eyes, somebody dies and you have to go and do the round of discourse and guessing of who it is. Um, and I think that, to me, that's my favorite kind of game to play, especially if you get characters involved and, like, go full theater camp about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I I love the game. I love the idea of a movie being based around a game and it not being like, the game's possessed. It's like, no, it's a full metaphor for the whole movie you're you're watching. Yeah, I do appreciate that more when you have something thematic that just tells you what the beats of your story are about to be. Mm-hmm. It's just because it's really satisfying when you start piecing it together. But yeah, I, I am not a big fan of the let's turn truth or dare into Saw, basically. But then oh, Saw, God. but with ghosts. You know? <laughs> uh, oh. It's like, uh, it's, not my, it's not my jam. I'm sorry, whoever made that movie, but you just... It does not appeal to me. Let's put it that way. I really wanted to like it because I like the cast, but it just wasn't. It wasn't for me. It wasn't. It wasn't my taste. It's just the concept alone that really turned me off. I'm much. I would have much rather it had been something like this, that a game mm-hmm. of truth or dare ended up being. You don't know who to trust. You don't know what was a dare and what was somebody actually meaning something anymore. It would have been a really cool way to dissect how the games that we play can also negatively influence you if you have the wrong people playing them Mm. oh that's good because this particular game uh with the cry wolf game it's interesting like i do like those games but i've also been turned off uh from them for a a little while i like among us because i find it very innocent and because Mm -hmm. it's an easy way to win you actually have tasks and stuff to do that the killer really has to ramp up and do something (laughs) to get it to work whereas the ones that are just based on you lie to each other the whole way through and then see who wasn't lying. Uh, yes. I've, I've, you need to know the right environments. I've actually had this at work and I'm a manager and I played it to a T. Uh, we had a, this game called secret Hitler where you have, <laughs> you, you have, you know, the allies versus the axis and, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, fascist party uh, policies. And I think they call them democratic policies. And then you have one person who's Hitler. So neither the fascists nor the, allies know who hitler is so you just know that hitler obviously is going to be a person who is helping the fascists with their policies but when it comes to i'm not going to get into the full details of the game because it's very convoluted but point is you're trying to pass these policies around and you have two people play at a time 
and mm-hmm. one of you just gives you you get a stack of three you take one out and then you have two options that you give to the other person and you never know until late game like if they're giving you two fascist policies if they're a fascist who manipulated it or if they had three fascist policies so you're like oh crap. oh and if so what you're trying to do is figure out who's playing hitler because that can end the game if the okay know, if the allies figure out who hitler is before a certain amount of time well i mean you found the leader right yeah it's a game over but if you have a certain amount of fascist policies that go through uh the fascists win uh it's just i've never said fascist so many times in a sentence before uh, <laughs> well i was uh hitler <laughs> in this oh my program. god and it was down to me one other person playing a fascist and one person that i knew that wasn't a fascist and or no sorry there was another person she could get we had four people but it was basically like if the wrong thing happens right now we would win and mm-hmm. she was one of my employees and she just didn't know what to do and i didn't do the whole like you can trust me stuff because i really wanted to make sure that i didn't like really betray somebody's trust I know a lot of people yeah. don't care about doing that in the game, <laughs> but I was like, I wanted, I, I, honestly, I found out I did something far more insidious. I just said like, you need to trust your gut. And unfortunately she trusted me. That was her gut. Oh no. And so I was like, well, you made a huge mistake. And like, she just couldn't look at me. Like it was a while that we actually had to like, she's like, but you're my manager. And like, yeah, but I didn't tell you that I was <laughs> any, I, right. I did not gaslight you or anything. I just said, if you think it's the right move, then, you know, that's you the move. that do the move. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, but unfortunately it was the trust in me as a person influenced her in a game. So we had a difference in mindsets in the game. I was playing a game. She was kind of trusting her manager. Yeah. Trying to see if her manager would be like, well, I mean, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard of other games. There's this one that uh, I read about that had to be discontinued by the very people who made it because it destroyed their whole workplace because it was a game that was designed to make you want to play it. So they ended up having whole like gambling rallies and stuff in the office. And oh God, they kept coming back to it and broke up friendships. They had people on staff who wouldn't trust each other. They were sitting around emails, very similar to this movies, emails of like, you can't trust so-and-so because they say they're going to help you, but then they're going to turn their back on you if it benefits them. So people got the survivor kind of, and you know, in survivor, you never know who is doing it because it's a game show or who's doing it because that's who they are. And that was the problem here. Some people are like, I'm just playing a game, bro. They're like, I've invited you to my wedding, though. If you tell me you're going to do something, I trust you. Oh. oh. That's why you don't play Monopoly with friends. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, destroy, it destroys everything. Yeah, so don't play these games with coworkers at the very least, please. No, um, oh God, Very no. close friends that you know that might be a bit sensitive to something like that. It should be like drinking buddies that you really don't care. You're only going to see these people during the game anyway. Yeah. Honestly, kind of what we see in Cry Wolf, because outside of that... Although they you have classes rarely together. see them together. Yeah, they're and they're only ever talking about lying to each other and, and being in that game. And like, if that's the basis of your friendship, it's toxic. But at the very least, you know not. At least you know people. what it is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I would say the the Graham character who like, aside from the game, it's like nobody seems to really care that they hurt his feelings or like him that much. <laughs> like right. the po- the poor guy, and he's like, guys, we've known each other for years, and they're like, yeah, but. Okay, like they they did not care. 
He's like, yeah. new guy gets to stay, but I don't. And they're like, yeah, obviously. Bye. Like, it's it was kind of cutthroat. And, but I get it. I get that. I mean, that's the game. And that's what they're there for. Like, they're not. Yeah. They're not there because they're all best friends. They want to get together. I think that's a great example of the subtlety there. Because he really expected some sort of friend hierarchy. We're hanging out. You bring a new guy in. He's treated better. And they're like, no, he's mm-hmm. not. He just beat you. It's a game. Right. Chill. And I get where he's coming from because if that's how they normally play, then it's like, why are you suddenly not being my friends tonight? That's really weird. Right. I hate to say it, but I feel like I would be the, like, that's the game, dude. Like, sorry. <laughs> I've been that guy many times. You can play again later. Like, I don't I don't know why you're so upset. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they left either. I know they lost money and all, but like, you can play another round. It's like, right. I'm like... If we're sneaking out, um, I'm going to go ahead and play at least twice. Like, yes. if, I'm going to make it worth it, basically. Exactly. And, yeah, I'm sorry. I know I got a huge tangent on these games, but I just felt that we couldn't talk about the concept of the film without talking about these real-world games. And oh, yeah, for sure. Although they're fun, I see the danger in them. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually comes into similar problems of talking about taste. You know, I, I know that they're not the same topic, but it's exactly the, the same thing of saying, I didn't like this, so it sucked. It's bad. Uh, how do you feel when people say Cry Wolf is a bad movie? That is a uh, media tangent. That is my biggest pet peeve with like film Twitter in general. Um, I've made it a point specifically to say it's not my taste or it's not for me. Because it's like you can't, you can't say a movie is bad if you just didn't like it, that just means it wasn't for you. Like, I'm not going to go in and watch, I'm not going to go watch like this giant and bloody action movie. Like, Oh, this movie is so bad. It's like, well, if I don't like that movie, I'm not going to say it's a good movie. Like, sorry. So like, if you don't like this kind of movie or it just didn't, it didn't speak to you on the level you wanted it to. It's not like it was a bad movie. It just wasn't a movie that you wanted to watch, which is fine. Every, Every movie is for someone, but every movie is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I hear people say like, oh, Cry Wolf was such a bad movie. It's like, well, what was bad about it? And it's, it's always something fully subjective. It's something that is purely taste level. Like they're like, oh, I didn't like I thought it was poorly written. It's like, well, OK, like what what was poorly written about it? And they're like, I don't know. The the characters were dumb. And it's like, well, maybe, but it still can be a good movie. I, I love plenty of movies with dumb characters. Most horror movies actually have dumb characters. Like there has to be a level of stupidity in a horror movie for it to work. I'm sorry. That's just true. Like, especially (laughs) 80s slasher movies. Like you've got to be dumb to go investigate a weird noise in the summer camp in the middle of the night. I'm sorry. You just do. So whenever I hear somebody say like, oh, this movie was stupid or I hated it. It was dumb. It was a bad movie. It's like, well, I mean, maybe in your taste, like I, this is me specifically. I love bad movies. Like I, have a history of loving bad movies because I don't think they're bad. They're just camp. Like they're, they're mm. just, or they're not good, but they're great. It's like my favorite phrase, like cherry falls is not a good movie. It's a great movie, but it's not like if you are watching it for, well, I guess I don't want to give anything away about cherry falls, but for like filmmaking, right? If, if you're watching it, expecting a beautiful artistic experience that moves you to the core and changes your beliefs, you're not going to get it. Like that's <laughs> most movies are not going to deliver that. No. So you have to watch a movie thinking like, was I entertained? Did I like this? Is this something that I would watch again? 
And it's like, yeah, to me, it was a great movie. I mean, to me personally, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie is a great movie. It is like a great movie. I'm sorry. I love it. It's no opinion on that. That's just a fact. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It is generally the best for a generation. But <laughs> I watched um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I watched it. I was like, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's okay. It's not. I wouldn't like say it's a great movie, but plenty of people do. And I'm not like, no, it was bad. It's like, no, it just wasn't, I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Like, that's fine. I think that's an interesting example because I am of the camp that there is such thing as a good movie and a bad movie, but I feel that the weight and the importance that people put behind them don't match the point because our tastes and our emotions might be at odds with what we're Mm -hmm. saying. So I think people are using language very horribly in this sense because it's just quicker to say, oh, this is a great movie because they really like it or this is a mm-hmm. terrible movie because they really hated it for whatever reason. But they're on a technical level. There are definitely movies that are hell. Some of my favorite movies and some of the most famous movies ever made are not very good movies. Yeah, fully. pretty bad. I would say, you know, Let's say Bohemian Rhapsody ends up being one of those movies that's just like a classic that people keep coming back to for some reason. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's a good movie, though, just from how it is made. The editing alone. Suicide Squad is also one of those movies that I think you can easily bring up. Whether you love the movie or not, I'm not going to shame anybody for loving that movie. Right. You're a bit of an asshole if you're going to shame somebody for liking something that they get joy out of. Oh, my God. That is – oh, I hate that. However – so much. If somebody were to tell me, oh, yeah, it's a really well-made movie, I'm like, I'm sorry, we're going to have a conversation now because I do feel that there are a lot of mistakes made that are not just, like, ideas. They're really like Mm -hmm. somebody didn't know how to do the job properly because there are basics that were failed at in certain aspects. Editing being the biggest offender in Suicide Squad. So I can see clearly there's bad editing in Suicide Squad. Now, that doesn't mean I can't say... I personally would not say it's a great movie, but I would not be able to tell somebody that you can't enjoy Suicide Squad because of its bad editing. I can't enjoy Suicide Squad because of its bad yeah. editing. It's yeah. just, it pisses me off. It is bad editing. Whether you like that or not, that is a fact. Whether it is wonderful to you, whether you loved it or not, that is your personal taste, and I'm happy for you, even if I don't share that. Right. We need to stop trashing each other for what we love unless we find out, like, well, what you love is deeply problematic and hurtful and you're perpetuating something that is actually damaging to society. That's when, that's different. That's different, but people are still having troubles seeing the difference because we can still say this movie is deeply problematic. You mentioned it a few times. It's misogynistic. Oh, yeah. It's homophobic. Oh. It's racist. And it is still a very entertaining film that we can see the potential for what is done well in the film. Mm-hmm. I think of that uh, specifically because we've had so much, so much horror discourse this year. There's been uh, both Malignant and Halloween Kills. They were so divisive. Um, And people saying like, oh, Halloween Kills is a horrible movie. It's like, it's not a horrible movie. Is it have the best pacing? Not really. Like, did I love the uh, representation of the gay couple? No, I didn't. I thought it was ridiculous. It was clearly written by a straight man. (laughs) But I'm like, but I'm not going to go around and call people idiots because they loved it. I'm like, no, I mean, they... They just loved it. That's fine. Like, right. go for it. It spoke to you, and that's cool. And you don't have to look at it the same lens I do. And the same thing with Malignant, where people were going around, you know, calling for an idiots who like Malignant. I'm like, no, it just it just worked for me. Like, despite yeah. all of, like, I love the way you say it, despite the bad this or the bad that, it didn't bother me. 
Like I thought, I mean, obviously I thought the storyline in Malignant was a little, a little loose to say it best, but <laughs> Fast and loose. I enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. I still very much liked it. I liked Suicide Squad. Like there are movies that I love that you put it. They're technically not well made or they technically have issues, but it didn't inhibit my ability to enjoy the movie. There you go. And it's an important part. And then I also didn't follow up with it by being a dick to people. It did. So like, it's like, <laughs> it's fine. Just let people like things. I'm a grown man and I love Barbie. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great summation of it all. It's like, y'all, come on. <laughs> I have other things to defend right now. <laughs> like of all the things happening in the world, really, you're going to be mad about me about a movie. Yeah. That's, and that's come fair. On. I do wish people would understand that you can really see the flaw in something and appreciate what you appreciate about it. It doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. your enjoyment of something does not mean that it's perfect. It does not mean that it is devoid of harmful material. It does not mean that it is devoid of fundamental flaws and lack of skill. I know people who unequivocally love the room, not just because it's a fun party movie, not just to make fun of, you know, why so and everybody in it. They're just like, I don't know, there's just something cool about it. It's got that kind of I just enjoy it. kind of vibe, you know? Yeah. They really appreciate that, like, I don't know, this motherfucker's just putting, like, everything, and it's not enough, but it, there's still everything in it. This is his mm-hmm. all. And they see the beauty in that, and they really connect with it. All right. I, I love that. I mean, it's still a terrible movie if you're going to go into, like, a technical standpoint, blah, 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 mm-hmm. all the things that everybody has said since 1994. But the point being... The reason this movie has such a, a mythos about it now is there's a mix of people. You have people who are being mean-spirited about it, and you have people who are mm-hmm. genuinely like, I love that this dude made this thing, and it's getting attention. Yeah. It's like you can you can just like it for liking it. Yeah. And I think that's that's the best part about there being so many movies, you guys. You can just like what you want to watch. Like, it's it's cool. Everybody calm down. If you focus on what you like... You will find the good in these films, in Mm -hmm. the art form, because even if 99% of it is just not well made and you know it, you're just like, I don't know. I know against my better judgment, everything about this is a waste of my money to watch it, but I keep coming back to it. I've had plenty of those movies in my life and I'm like, this is dog shit. And I'm just like... I don't know. I'm I'm nom nom nom. You know, like I'm sold into it. Like I just love it. It's just my hot mess, and I and I love it. And that means though, if you really take a moment to unpack it, you're probably going to find something that's really cool that people haven't thought about. Look at Cry Wolf. Like I hadn't seen the movie before. I have no predisposition towards it. I have no bias other than some of the content of it. And yeah, I was a little surprised at a movie of that kind of visual style, but I was like, oh, this is awesome this is to, to, to do this. But still, like, we have tapped into all of the things that were pretty ahead of their time and done mm-hmm. better than a lot of the movies that are more famous than this movie. But yeah, I can see why if somebody were to turn it on thinking it's going to be a particular thing. I mean, anybody who's going to listen to this podcast and then go watch, it's going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) But it's try to share Bradley's passion for it and then really pay attention to the film. And it's all there. It's all in there. Just because there are elements that you don't like doesn't mean that it's devoid of any merit. It's definitely not don't look now. Like it's not... (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> I I loved. I was looking through the list of movies, like thinking of what I was going to bring, and I was like, "Wow, I'm really gonna I'm gonna curve all this." One. You did. <laughs> I really appreciated it, though. I, I you know, it's a, I like to challenge my guests, and I had a guest challenge me this time, and. Uh, you're not the first one to do so in my limited run as well. I had a couple of curveballs. I was like, okay, let's do this. All right. Bride of Chucky. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, that's a whole different can of worms that I could easily talk about in, in terms of beauty. I think it's a really beautiful movie. Oh, Ronnie Yu. He is. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love Ronnie Yu. I mean, he's it's an beautiful movie. just like feast in his movies. So for sure. Um, I don't know if there were any other aspects of the film that you wanted to cover before we kind of wrap things up. No, I feel I feel like we have uh, definitely covered everything. Awesome. Yeah, I think we've done a pretty thorough job. I'm sure as soon as we're done, I'm going to be like, oh, we should have talked about this. We should talk about that. But, yeah. <laughs> you got to leave them wanting more. If there's ever a movie that deserves a sequel, it's Crywolf. I think I have to agree with you on that. After our discussion, I've appreciated it more and more and more. And I think that... Anybody who has unfortunately heard the ending of it without seeing it, still watch it. The whole experience of getting there, it's done so well. It's like Scream, you know. You you know exactly who the killers are throughout the whole film. And every time I watch Scream, somehow I start to I doubt still myself. enjoy it. I'm just like, did I remember it correctly? Oh yeah, okay, now I was right. It's just because if you get caught up in what's going on and enjoy it, you don't care. <laughs> Essentially, and it's even. I say even if you know, I, th- I feel like like Scream, if you know the ending of the movie, you know about Dodger, it's fun re-watching it and seeing it through a different lens. It really is. It's exciting to watch the, I mean, the actress, Lindy Booth, she's not super well known. I mean, I only really know her from the famous Jet Jackson from when I was like 12. Wow. Um, and I know, super throwback to all you millennials out there. Um, but like she really she is very talented and she does this really great performance of like playing it both ways to where her performance works before you find out. And after it's really, yeah. it's really good. It's very subtle. I agree. Yep. So please check out cry wolf and uh, yeah, well then if we are done, I think I'm going to wrap things up. So, this podcast is a part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. Be sure to follow the Anatomy of a Scream podcast page on your preferred podcast platform to check out more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts, including 28 Days Ladyer, hosted by Sophie and Hannah Day, XOXO Horror, and much more. You can find more info at anatomyofascream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic. That same handle is also used for Instagram as well. And you can check out my website, which is shockaholic.org. And uh, yeah, I want to know, dear listeners, what are your thoughts on Cry Wolf? Let me know so you can reach me at twitter which is at beauty horror pod if you want to talk about this episode you can also email me which is beauty of horror pod at gmail.com and of course there's also instagram and facebook if you're a part of those communities and we have our discord so please come on down plenty of ways to engage in the beauty of horror but i want to thank you again bradley for sitting down with me and talking about this very interesting choice for the podcast i really enjoyed our conversation and have a new perspective on this film it's going to definitely stick in my memory a lot more uh, than it probably would have if i just picked it up from like a dvd shelf or something 
But so where can everybody find you on the interwebs and uh, what sort of things would you like to plug? Yeah, um, I'd say you can find me on Instagram at screen.queen.shop. Uh, there's periods between all three of those. Uh, <laughs> um, and also screamqueenshop.com. Um, you can find all my super cute, kitschy horror stuff. Um, so yeah, and if you want to follow my toys, uh, it's Stormy, S-T-O-R-M-I-E underscore studios. Um, it's very different content, so I hope you like fashion dolls. But <laughs> um, that's it. That's where you can find me. And I hope you uh, check out the, the website. We're going to be launching some new Scream merchandise this month uh, featuring Gail Weathers. So um, get real excited about that. Gail Weathers and Casey Becker are coming this month. Whoa. Oh, all Casey Becker too? Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And y'all, seriously, if you haven't seen these designs, you have no idea why I'm so excited, but especially the idea of Casey Becker. I, I think I have an idea of what you, where you went with this, and I cannot wait to see it. Uh, and Gail, of course, getting, giving Gail uh, some love. Uh, thank you so much for that. I have one question for you before we wrap up then. Yes. Bangs or no bangs? Um, look, there's a soft spot in my heart for those awful bangs from Scream 3. The picture itself won't have them, but okay. now that I'm saying that out loud, I think I kind of want to do a, another one with bangs. <laughs> you should do a version 2, yes. Uh, Make, make a limited edition with the bangs. I think that'd be really, really awesome for people. I love that. I'm here uh, for it. There, there you go. So we're, we're creating content here uh, on the podcast as well. <laughs> uh, definitely check out Bradley's shop because it's it's adorable stuff. It's really like the, you can tell that the fashion doll vibe is in there. And, and I love it. It really does feel like you're looking at old like vintage Barbie doll designs. Um, yeah. So also... Thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the beauty that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye.